This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sessingham. It's been nearly three years since some high-profile sewage spills fouled the waters around Tampa Bay. As the summer rains continue to pour down on us and hurricanes loom as a possibility, what's changed? Can Tampa Bay's aging pipes and stormwater infrastructure keep the pollution contained? Here in the studio with us are Josh Solomon, Gatehouse Media Investigative Reporter based at the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Thanks for being here, Josh. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And Claude Tankersley, Public Works Administrator for the City of St. Petersburg. Claude, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Claude, Hurricane Hermine dumped a lot of water on the Bay Area. In August 2016, it caused massive sewage spills in Pinellas. Hillsborough did manage to avoid the spills at that point, but that is when your stormwater task force was started, right? Yeah, right after those correct. spills. Right. And, and Pinellas County came up with an action plan, mm-hmm. right? That's correct. To, to address this. So to give us a little update on what's going on. I know that officials have been going out into the community in St. Petersburg trying to update the public. What, mm-hmm. have, what have they been telling us? So we, we actually started the, the stormwater wastewater task force right after Hurricane Hermine. And as a side note, I had been with the city for only six months at that time. So I was brand new to the city and that was my immersion into the problem. Uh, the task force was established to include all the utilities in Pinellas County because we all were experiencing problems. And so we were looking for ways that we could address the problems, address the problems of the uh, aging infrastructure, how we can work together sharing resources to prevent these things from happening in the future. Okay. And what's yes. been done? So all of the utilities within Pinellas County have been doing what they need to do specific to their utility. To give you an example of what St. Petersburg has been doing, we have invested approximately $150 million into expanding our wastewater treatment plants in the last three years. We've spent another $100 million or so on the collection system, making the pipes less leaky so we get less stormwater into the system. Josh, you wrote a comprehensive article back in April about sewage spills throughout the whole state of Florida, not just our Bay Area. What what were some of the things that you found? You know, we decided to do the story because we had several spills earlier this year, back to back in the Sarasota Manatee area. And of course, we had known about the reporting and the issues with the spills in Tampa Bay a few years prior. So uh, we decided to actually see if there was any data on this to do some analysis. And of course, the Florida Department of Environmental Protection does keep that data. Uh, We were able to obtain 10 years worth of reported spills. And what we found was that across Florida, uh, sewers were failing up to six times a day in the state. There have been nearly 23,000 reports of sewage spills, you know, and those spills released about 1.6 billion gallons of wastewater. And that includes about 370 million gallons of completely untreated sewage. This is for the whole state Mm -hmm. over a 10-year period, including 370 million gallons of completely untreated sewage. Claude, I want to ask you, I mean, these sound like big numbers, Mm -hmm. but it's a big state with a lot of people and a a lot of waterways. How startling are these numbers to someone like you who deals with this every day? They are large numbers, but when you put them in context of how much wastewater we produce, it's not as, as bad as you would think. So, for instance, in the city of St. Petersburg, we treat approximately 11 billion gallons of wastewater a year. So three, and like what percentage of that gets spilled or has gotten spilled? Less than one-tenth of one percent 
depending wow. on the year. So even though it sounds like, <laughs> oh my gosh, tens of millions of gallons of sewage have been spilled, you're right. like, well, that's a drop in the bucket compared to how much we <laughs> handled successfully. That's correct. We as the state of Florida, the utilities here are very successful in treating our sewage successfully 99.9% of the time. Right. But <laughs> yep. that little percentage point does mean a lot of dirty water. It does. And it has it has a big effect. Um, so, Josh, the DEP, uh, Florida Department of Environmental Protection, sounds like it's doing a good job then of keeping data on all of these spills. How does that all work? Yeah, I mean, the data is pretty good. Um, anytime there is a spill, you know, it's reported to a few different systems, but ultimately collected at the statewide level in Tallahassee, um, you know, the Florida Department of Environmental Protection. I'm not sure what exactly they use the data for internally, but I know because they were collecting it, we were able to get it and do some analysis. They make it public. They it do. It seems to me, and I may be remembering this wrong, but it seemed to me that that all started with Rick Scott, former Governor Rick Scott, when there was that radioactive spill at the Mosaic plant in Polk County. Yes, that actually occurred right around the same time as our 2015-2016 rainfalls and sewer spills. They all occurred roughly around the same time. So that was the time when uh, Governor Rick Scott did put in an executive order to require any utility or, or business that had a hazardous spill of any kind to report it to the public in addition to reporting it to DEP. Right, because Mosaic had reported to DEP, but then the neighbors around that land, you know, with wells became alarmed. Yes. And after that, so this has gone into into effect. And this is how you got the data, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the only thing I would add is that although we did look at it, you know, on a statewide level, we did also want to focus on where this was occurring. And we did see the whole Tampa Bay region from north to Hillsborough, all the way down to our area, Sarasota, Manatee, actually had 10 times the sewage spilled over the 10-year period than Miami-Dade County, Say that which is again, a much larger area. I know that that's kind of That to me was the most startling <clears throat> find. You found that our area in that 10-year period, had 10 times as much... The total, you know, sewage released than from... Miami-Dade area, Correct. which is much more crowded. Much more crowded. Yeah, it, I mean, I think it'll be a smaller land area because you look at us, you know, at the region, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's, you know, north of Hillsboro all the way down to Sarasota, you know, Bradenton. So quite a large area covers mm-hmm. both Sarasota Bay and Tampa Bay. But yeah, to see it occurring that much more often than even an area like Miami-Dade, I think was, you know, concerning to a lot of the people we talked to. And then you did see that Hills, the 10 waterways with the most untreated sewage spills, Hillsborough River came out on top. That was also a startling find. Yeah, absolutely. I was confused about one thing okay. on your graphic of the volume of untreated spills. Right. It does look like the Miami-Dade area is right up there with our area. That is untreated spills. So um, when we looked at it, you know, there's several different categories of sewage spills. You mm-hmm. know, there's treated spills, there's untreated spills. So we tried to look at all of them. The number that I used earlier, the 10 times more, was total. Okay. So that's what I, I wanted to ask you, Claude. This terminology between treated sewage being spilled or untreated or partially treated, what's the difference of those categories and does it make a big difference to our waterways if it's partially treated, untreated? It does make make a difference. Untreated wastewater is is the wastewater that is basically in the collection system. So if the leak came from an overflowing manhole or a leaky pipe, then that is untreated sewage, raw sewage is another term we use, and that has the most amount of contaminants in it. But if the wastewater has reached a treatment plant and the spill occurs somewhere 
in the treatment process or maybe even after the treatment process, then that wastewater has received a significant amount of treatment. It may not meet the full requirements of the DEP permits for the treated uh, discharge, but it has received a significant amount of treatment. So for instance, in, a, in one of our treatment plants, we have multiple processes throughout the plant. Uh, we start off with what we call screening, which is exactly what it sounds. And then we go to aeration, and then we go to settling, and then we go to filtration. So there's lots of different processes. And each one of those processes remove the contaminants. You can remove 99% of the contaminants within the first two or three processes. And so if the wastewater was spilled after the first two or three processes, 99% of the contaminants have already been removed at that point, even though it may not meet permit requirements. So it might have some nutrients in it that could feed algae, but it wouldn't have E. coli. Like, would, would if it wouldn't close the if, beach. If, right? it, if it, the, the very final treatment at all the plants is disinfection, either oh, using... that's the final treatment. Yeah, that's the very final treatment. So that'd be... Um, chlorine or UV or some other kind of disinfectant. So if it, if it comes after that, it could still have too much nitrogen in it. It could still have too much dissolved solids in it, but it would have received the disinfection. So therefore, it most likely would not have the bacteria or viruses in it, but it still has the nutrients that is not good for our environment. Okay. I'm a little confused because I thought that was the final step. So in other words, it had to go through all the steps yes. and then get disinfected and then it's released into the water. That's correct. And so what happens, when, especially when we have a heavy rainfall, we may get more water into our system than the system is designed to handle. Mm -hmm. So even though that water went through the entire treatment system, it overwhelmed the treatment system. So much water went through that filtration, it may not have been able to remove all of the contaminants it was supposed to, but I it still see. made it through it. Mm -hmm. And then, then it gets all the way to the end, and then we, we add the chlorine or the UV and we disinfect it, but it still leaves perhaps some dissolved solids or nitrogen or phosphorus in there just because of the overwhelming amount of water that went through. The treatment plan just wasn't up to the task that's correct. of all the water that came in, and that's what happened during Hurricane Hermine, and exactly. all this was spilled out. What was the upshot of that, Josh? When that water was released, did it close beaches? Did it cause algal blooms? What what happened? We didn't, you know, draw any immediate correlation with, you know, there was a sewage spill on a Tuesday and the beach was closed on a Thursday. Um, you know, I don't think it worked quite like that. But certainly we talked to different environmentalists and water keepers who argued that depending on whether it was treated, how well it was treated, but that those spills can have significant impacts on our waters. You know, but I think everyone would like to see more testing there. You know, obviously we had a you know, really bad red tide year uh, the previous summer. You know, is there any links there? Uh, those are things I think we don't quite know yet. Some people argue stronger than others that there are those links. Right. Most scientists aren't really ready to make that link yet with red tide. Right. Maybe a little <clears throat> bit stronger correlation with the algal blooms that were on the East Coast. I guess another thing that was surprising when you saw, Josh, how much untreated water was released in the whole state was that our water isn't dirtier than it is because you see that there was all these sewage spills, but yet you very rarely hear about a beach closing or people getting sick or anything. Or I mean, you would you look at that and say, oh my God, a billion gallons of wastewater was released. You'd think we'd have cholera or something, but the water's pretty clean, isn't it? Yes, the water is significantly cleaner now than it was back in the 70s when we first started really looking at how we can treat our wastewater and keep it out of the bay. 
if you even were, with all the growth we've had even since with then. all the growth we've had since then the, the the bay is significantly cleaner we still don't want to spill anything into it and so we'll continually fight to improve our systems but it has had a big impact on the cleanliness of our waters and i want to point out one thing about the closing of beaches we at, at the city of st petersburg we test our beach waters once a week throughout the year and we sometimes have to close the beach when it's just been a rainfall. And what we're finding is, is that storm water, the water that after the rain falls down and it runs through your yard, it might pick up your dog waste, it might pick up some bird waste, it might pick up some garbage, goes all through your yard, through the streets, into the stormwater system and out into the bay. That water is very dirty and it hasn't received a lot of treatment. And that water can be dirty enough that that can close a beach. And so we often have beach closers that have nothing to do with sewage. It has all to do with stormwater. With runoff. With runoff. But isn't that runoff, wouldn't that also be something that the city or the county should be taking care of with retention ponds or that some is, kind of devices? Yes. So that's the future of clean water in, in the state. And when I say future, that doesn't mean we've been ignoring it in the past. Pinellas County, as well as I think Sarasota, forgive me if I'm wrong, I have fertilizer bands during the summer to help prevent that water quality degradation from stormwater runoff. And the state hasn't uh, banned those, The right? state has not banned those. That's okay. correct. So, so we've started the process, but as we move through this process and we've done such a good job of cleaning up our wastewater, we are finding that our stormwater is very dirty and we're looking at what we can do to mitigate that. Yeah, and I do think he's right on that point. And I'd add, you know, there are other pieces. I mean, the septic tanks, right, are, are another big issue in Florida with aging and failing septic tanks. Right. And we didn't really dig into that. We focused on the sewer issue. But there's a lot of issues with, with similar runoff, similar problems with the septics as well. Claude, Pinellas, we don't want to pick on St. Petersburg or Pinellas County. They're, they're not the only one having problems, as you pointed out. Officials want to double stormwater fees for unincorporated Hillsborough County now, right? So they can... They can do preventive maintenance. They don't have to wait until a water main breaks or a sewage right. pipe breaks. Right. That, that's correct. As, as I mentioned earlier, we are learning more and more about how stormwater impacts our environment. As we've done such a good job of cleaning up the point source of sewage, when we're realizing that there's still some degradation in our environment, we're realizing it's coming from that stormwater component. And here in the state of Florida, we have separate stormwater and wastewater systems. Many parts of the country, particularly up in the Northeast, they have what they call combined sewer systems, where stormwater and wastewater go into the same pipes. Here, we have separate pipes so that we can treat the wastewater separately from the stormwater. We treat our wastewater in a very methodical way, mechanically, physically, chemically, biologically, in plants. Our stormwater, though, the treatment for that is not as advanced, and it usually involves primarily just settling. So we, we will divert the stormwater into, as you mentioned earlier, a retention pond, a stormwater pond that allows the solids to settle out. But that doesn't provide the full level of treatment that we have with wastewater plants. Why don't they do that up north? Is it because those are older, much older systems? And Correct. They... Yes. So, so wastewater systems started as a way of just getting the waste away from the population. And so you just wanted to get it into some moving water body as quickly as possible to get it away. And so it was easy just to combine the conveyance with stormwater and wastewater into one because you just made it go away. You didn't treat it. And then over time, Put we learned that we Hudson had rivers. to treat it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, it went directly into the rivers. And so right. 
you know, they, they would discharge waste directly into the river as long as it went away from them, then that made them feel comfortable and safe. But as populations grew and, and our knowledge of health sciences grew, we realized that that was not the best way to do it. So Hillsborough County is saying we need to do preventative maintenance. We can't just wait for an emergency. They've had water main breaks, big ones. Mm-hmm. And then they found uh, just recently this huge sewage pipe that was going to the port of Tampa. Um, They accidentally found out that it was about halfway gone. It had been corroded by hydrogen sulfide. Yes. So tell me about this. This is, I guess, the problem with aging pipes. Yes, it is. And as a matter of fact, we saw that in St. Pete earlier this month. Oh, what happened? You you may have seen where we had a six-foot diameter hole open up in one of our streets. It was a depression in 83rd Avenue North and 7th Street North. It wasn't a sinkhole, but it was a depression. And it opened up because a large diameter sewer pipe beneath the road, the top of the pipe had corroded due to hydrogen sulfide corrosion that ate away at the concrete so that the top of the pipe opened up a small hole, maybe about the size of a large coin. But that was enough to allow sand to slowly filter through like an hourglass into the pipe so that it created a void under the road and eventually the road fell in. Now, one of the things that that confuses people is we reported that this was due to a broken sewer pipe. And so people assumed that a broken sewer pipe meant we must have spilled wastewater, but we didn't. It was just a hole at the top of the pipe. The wastewater is at the bottom of the pipe. So the wastewater could continue to flow very well, but the top of a pipe allowed that soil to filter through. And that's very common. But there's so many interconnected problems then. Yes. They can cause problems not just with the water and spillage, but obviously with the roads. So all this infrastructure is, is connected. Yes. What about, Josh, this flesh-eating bacteria that we heard so much about this summer? Is this connected to this dirty water? I mean, again, I think it goes back to the you know same thing you mentioned with the beach closures, the blue green algae, potentially even the red tide. I mean, we're seeing all these things get worse. You know, we know some of the things we're doing as humans certainly aren't good for that, but I don't think we know exactly how much is a direct contributor. Again, you know, different scientists and environmentalists we talk to uh, have sort of different opinions on that. But I agree, and just living here my whole life, you know, I remember growing up, and mom would say, "Go into the ocean with your cut. You know, it'll heal. It make it." good for you. Now you wouldn't dare do that because you'd get flesh eating bacteria. So, I mean, certainly things, you know, anecdotally are are getting worse. And depending on who you talk to, they're just trying to do more studies to figure out exactly how much all these things are contributing. And the waters are supposed to be getting incrementally warmer. Yes. Um, Is that making your job harder, Claude? Yes, it is. Yes, it is making our job harder uh, in part because warmer water, warmer air produces more rainfall more intense rains, more often, we have rain more often. And so that inundates our community with the stormwater and and the higher wastewater flows. And so, yes, it does affect us. And it would also seem like it'd be harder to kill things because the bacteria would love that that warmth. Yes, yes. Bacteria thrives in warm waters. As a matter of fact, um, red tide is is associated with the warmer waters. So um, as you would expect, as the waters warm up, we would see more and more effect from these um, bacteria and, and other contaminants. So do you think you're seeing the effects already? of having expanded your wastewater treatment plants and the fact that you really haven't, we haven't been reporting on any spills in St. Petersburg for a while. For a while, that was a good steady beat for some one of (laughs) our reporters. So uh, do you think it's having an effect? I'm confident it is. 
So I, I keep track of our wastewater flows and our rainfall on a daily basis. And the, the, this summer, the summer of 2019, we're actually getting the same rainfall patterns that we did in the summer of 2015. Okay. And if you remember in the summer of 2015, that was the first summer that St. Pete had its first big spills. It was also the summer where Pasco County had a lot of flooding going on. If you look at the rainfall patterns for 2019, they mimic 2015 almost exactly. As a matter of fact, 2019, as of August the 6th, we had had about two inches more rain in 2019 than we had in 2015 in St. Petersburg. But the flows in our wastewater system are about two-thirds of what they were in 2015. So I do believe that the work we've been doing has reduced the flows in our system, which means we've reduced the leakiness of our systems, and we haven't had any wastewater overflows. Congratulations. Thank you. I will say that is good news. That's good to hear. Now, this is all expensive proposition, right? Right. But I think that's the biggest thing, you know, is that we need to continue to invest in these systems. You know, maybe sometimes it's easier to go out and sell an infrastructure project like a road that people drive on, they see every day. People don't really think about sewage and all these Mm -hmm. things, right? They're buried underground. You don't really think about that kind of stuff until it doesn't work, right? And then there's a a problem. Um, But I think that's the wrong way to go about it. And certainly from the folks we talk to um, when, you know, researching the story, I think really there needs to be more of an emphasis put on investment of these types of systems. So we're not constantly in this problem of trying to play catch up. Where does the money come from, Claude? The money comes from our our users. They they, they come from our water and sewer fees. They don't come from the taxes we might pay on our property, but if you use a thousand gallons of water, then we will charge you for that thousand gallons of water and a thousand gallons of sewage. And we use those fees that we get to, to upgrade and increase and improve our system. And Josh is absolutely 100% right. This is, these systems are not a one and done. You build them and then you forget about them or you fix them once and you forget about them. They're, they're like our human bodies. Every single day they get older. Every single day they deteriorate. And we have to constantly maintain them, constantly. Parts of the St. Pete system are, date back from, to the 1800s, the late 1890s. These are old systems. And we can either dig them up and replace them, which is very disruptive, and very expensive, or we can maintain them as we go along. But none of us, including myself, like to pay higher fees every year for water and sewer. And so since they're out of sight, out of mind, and we think, oh, it's working because my toilet flushes, hey, it works, then we wait until we have a crisis. And so one of the things that our council and our mayor is, is very adamant about is making sure that we, we don't allow ourselves to become complacent in the future. So, for instance, one of the things that we're going to be doing now is every five years, we're going to televise each foot of our underground pipes. We have over 950 miles of underground pipes. So you could drive from here up to Pennsylvania. That's how much underground pipes we have in St. Pete. Mm. So these are the kind of things that we should be doing that, unfortunately, in the past, we allowed to go by the wayside. Isn't there federal money available for this to help with this also? Not as much anymore. There are federal loans that are available, Mm. but the heyday of federal money for clean water was back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s when the federal gave grants for these kind of projects. And, And I have the theory that that's part of the reason why we're in this mess is because we as the local citizens had federal grants to build our systems. And then when we set our fees, we set the fees to pay for the maintenance of the system, not the construction, because the construction was done using federal grants. And then we just didn't 
think far enough ahead to recognize that at some point what was built with the federal grants, we're not going to have to rebuild or repair using local money. And so I think we started off our rates too low and just never really got them up to where they should have been. Interesting. Yeah. So it's kind of a psychological barrier here that people need to get over. That's correct. From the Pinellas County website, um, they say that the technical working group, which is your your, um, task force on stormwater, um, wants a countywide public dialogue program to increase education outreach and citizen engagement. I was a little surprised when I read that because I thought, well, what difference does it make how educated the citizens are? You know, wow, makes a huge Oh, so explain difference. how. So to give you an example, one, we, we have had some discharges this year, but they have not been related to rainfall. They've been related to mechanical failure or clogs in the system. Mm. And one of the messages we really need to get out to people is that there are two things that definitely do not belong in your, in your sewer system, grease and flushable wipes. Now, they're called flushable because the manufacturers call them that. When you flush them, they'll leave your toilet, but they don't, they don't break down easily in our system. And so what happens is, is you have thousands upon thousands of these wipes that don't, don't break down in our system, and they mix together with the grease that people might pour down their drain after you know, cooking their meal, and then it forms what's called a fatberg. Look it up. I know it's a strange-sounding name, but it it's actually— It sounds disgusting. It sounds disgusting, but it, and it is disgusting. It's a combination of congealed greases and other rags and materials. And it's just like a clogged artery will stop the flow in your body. The fat bird will stop the flow in a wastewater collection system, causing an overflow. And that is 100% related to the people who use our systems. I never heard that those flushable wipes were a problem. Josh, had yeah. you? Oh, well, yeah, I was just going to mention when we look at uh, one of the things in the data is the cause, the reported cause. So we were able to filter through and primarily, you know, it was storm driven, those types of things. Uh, but we did see both fats and wipes a big issue in Bradenton. Flushable baby wipes did, did cause a clog that ended up spewing, I think, about 80,000 gallons of sewage into Bradenton's Where's Creek. And that was user error. That was from, yeah, flushed, flushed wipes. How so, big a problem is it, Claude? It's a huge problem, and it's a problem that goes unreported. Uh, the vast majority of the clogs that are occurring in, in our sewer systems are, are related to both greases, fats, and the flushable wipes. Wow. I knew grease would mess up your garbage disposal. Um, but, yeah, it shouldn't be in the pipes at all. It shouldn't be in the pipes so at all. People should, should just throw it out in the garbage. Throw it out in the garbage, put it in a, you know, t- take an old um, a vegetable can, pour it in there until it solidifies, and then throw it away. Uh, the flushable wipes also, they really should be thrown away. You know, you have a trash can in your restroom, throw them away in the trash can. Don't flush them, please. That's Claude Tankersley, Public Works Administrator for the City of St. Petersburg. And we've also been talking to Josh Salman, Gatehouse Media Investigative Reporter based at the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. You can tweet us at Florida Matters, and Florida Matters is available as a podcast. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The engineer is George Gauvin. This week's show was produced by Mary Shedden and Stephanie Colombini. I'm Robin Sessingham. Thanks for listening.